Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 74 of The Snyder Cut. I am your exhausted but excited host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider.com. As you may have noticed, today is Friday. Yesterday kind of got away from me. I was in the middle of Scoop City. I was digging, and I just didn't have time to record the podcast, so I do apologize. Uh, Where should we begin? Geez, I was out of the office last Friday. I went up to New Hampshire for a little weekend getaway with my brothers, because one of my brothers is getting married this summer. I don't know if he's going to be able to have a proper bachelor party. So we took him up to New Hampshire, up to Lake Winnipesaukee. I missed some some big news that broke on Friday. Uh, But we're going to start with Black Superman. So it's my understanding, uh, right, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates has been hired to write a new Superman movie that is going to be produced by J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. I feel like this was all an inevitability, right? As soon as J.J. signed his big Warner Media deal, it it only felt like a matter of time before he took over Superman. Um, And, you know, you don't hire Ta-Nehisi Coates to write a white Superman movie, right? So I think it is pretty clear that, that Warner Brothers wants to introduce a black Superman into the, the DCEU, or I don't know if this would sort of uh, live on its own, or if this would if, or if this iteration of the character would sort of be integrated into the larger universe, if this is the Superman who ends up fighting, you know, Black Adam or appearing in Shazam movies, whatever it is, I, I don't know. Um, as far as the Michael B. Jordan of it all, listen, I, I think he's the most obvious choice, right? I, I think this guy... Look, he, I mean, he, he looks the part. You see, we're going to talk about the Without Remorse trailer, but he just looks jacked beyond belief, right? Uh, you know, he, he has a history with Warner Brothers, whether it's, you know, the Creed movies or, or just Mercy. And, you know, he's, he's a huge movie star. It's almost too obvious in a sense that it's him, but it also makes the most sense. Like, I, I think Aldous Hodge would really be quite good. I, I, I love what Aldous Hodge has been doing with his career the last few years. Uh, you know, whether it's City on a Hill or um, The Invisible Man or One Night in Miami. And he just has like this chest, this huge, broad, strapping chest that I could see the big S on. I mean, I I could see him with a pair of glasses, not that Clark Kent needs to be visually impaired or whatever. Um, So, you know, he would kind of get my vote, but at the same time, he's not quite as well known as as Michael B. Jordan. And I'll be honest, I I do think Michael B. Jordan is, is a better actor. Um, you know, that, that doesn't, it's not that Superman requires an actor, uh, with, with major dramatic chops or anything. I mean, you know, look at who has played the character, but, um, I don't know. I, I'd be fine with either one of those. I just, I don't want John David Washington. I don't think that he would be the, the right fit for this. Um, I just think it's encouraging that, that Warner Brothers is going this route and, and making one of its marquee characters, you know, diverse. Um, Because I think, you know, I I don't want to say that we haven't seen enough diversity in the DCU, but I I definitely think that Marvel has sort of stolen its thunder with with that regard. Um, So yeah, J.J. Abrams, Black Superman, sounds good. Sign me up. Now, there was a rumor this week, there are a couple rumors that the Illuminati dropped. Uh, One I had heard as well, and one that, you know, was, was kind of news to me. But, um, the Illuminati, which is I've railed about on this podcast before as a, you know, a site that may not check its, its information, sort of gets the information, but doesn't confirm the information. So I don't know. You're going to have to take these next two stories with a grain of salt. Um, they reported that Disney is basically, and, and Marvel are developing a, a new X-Men movie, which you know, was inevitable. And I certainly have started to hear you know, casting whispers here and there, but they said it's called The Mutants, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know if I love it just because the mutants sort of reminds me of new mutants and I don't think that they want to like you don't want to invoke that title if you're launching a new X-Men thing I don't know why you wouldn't just do like an X-Men blank whether like X-Men first class that that was a a reboot Um, whether it's X-Men the new generation or X-Men whatever whatever the hell it is I don't I don't love the mutants. I don't hate it. Again, it's just that it invokes the new mutants for me. Uh, but yeah, I, I bet that they are starting to meet with writers and, and, and doing that um, because that is is certainly important to the future of the MCU. You know, we're going to get through Doctor Strange 2 and all these TV shows and, and all that stuff. But like, 
you know, what, what is the future? And it's, it is the X-Men, it is Blade, it, it is properties like that. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe before summer, we started to hear some firmer plans about the mutants, maybe for 2023, 2024, maybe even 2025. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, Marvel certainly has a jam-packed slate coming up, although most of that, you know, is really in, uh, in television. Um, the other story that the Illuminati dropped, which is something that I had heard, is that Ewan McGregor uh, is going to be, be playing Obi-Wan in the Cassian Andor series. That that's how they're sort of going to introduce him back. And I don't, again, I don't know if that's true. I heard it was like a recurring role. I mean, Ewan certainly seems like he's been getting ready. You know, he, he's looking buff. I, I think he's been working out. And, and I think people assumed it was all in anticipation for his own series. But what if, you know, he's actually going before the cameras a lot earlier. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if that was the case. And I frankly think, a, you know, Diego Luna, Cassian Andor series probably could use a little bit more juice, you know, whether that's in the form of Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan or, or, or another, you know, major character like that. Um, so, so those are definitely two stories to, to keep an eye on, not confirmed at, at, at this time, but uh, something tells me that that Ewan McGregor story feels right. Um, the Golden Globes were Sunday night. Did you watch? Because nobody else did. I mean, the, the ratings were pretty horrible, right? Um, and I don't know if that's just the fact that nobody wants to watch an award, a, a Zoom award show, basically, or if it is the movies, I mean, you would, you know, I know that people haven't seen the movies this year because nobody went to the movies this year, but at the same time, almost all these movies are available on streaming uh, for the most part, at least. So you'd think that they'd actually have greater access to the movies. Either way, it was like the worst ratings in like 30 years, um, had a very low share. I don't even know how many people watched. I think it was like five or 6 million or something like that after last year had like 18. Um, so, so yeah, like basically it was a fraction of the audience. I mean, to me, and I get wanting to, that, that these two are, are good award show hosts, right? And, and they provide some familiarity, a little bit of stability. They're old pros and, and they have the kind of chemistry where they can host the show on opposite coasts and, and you wouldn't even tell, right? You couldn't even know. But I've seen Tina Fey and Amy Poehler host award shows a lot or some company, whether it's uh, just, who's tuning in for this? Like get somebody new. These two had sitcoms that were big hits a decade ago, you know, Parks and Rec and, and 30 Rock. Like who are the stars of the hot sitcoms of today? They should have been hosting. Somebody who makes you want to tune in for something that you haven't seen before. I don't understand why they keep going back to the Tina and Amy well. There are plenty of funny women who are capable of hosting the show. Uh, so I, I definitely think that the hosts had something to do with it. I think that they were a bad choice. I think that the production was generally pretty bad. I think that was sort of the consensus the following day. And the fact that, you know, like, you know, when the winner is giving a speech, the, the losers are still on screen having to sit there and, and, and smile in their living rooms for, for 60 to 90 seconds. Like, you know, SAG at least has the right idea. I know that they don't have enough, um, you know, don't have as many awards as the Golden Globes, but like SAG announced, it's doing an hour long award show. Boom, boom, boom. Here are the winners. Like you can't pretend that everything is just normal. Uh, I mean, you know, kudos to the Golden Globes for wrapping up in three hours, but I don't know. And there were some, there were some weird winners. I'm not going to say undeserving winners, like I haven't seen U.S. versus Billy Holiday, and I've heard nothing but good things about Andrew Day. So congratulations to to Andrew Day, and I and I do think that she very well may get an Oscar nomination for that. Jodie Foster in the Mauritanian, like I, I thought, I like the Mauritanian. I thought it was good. I thought she was good, but like winning the the Golden Globe, like who had that coming? I think on the Guru's Gold, maybe one person predicted that. She was a, a twenty five to one long shot. I know that because my old roommate bet, I think it was like $16 on her or something. He ended up winning like 400 bucks. Um, yeah, so, so some weird winners. I just don't think that that there's any, uh, we talked about this, by the way, on, on a unofficial episode of For Your Consideration that aired on Perry Nemiroff's YouTube channel. You can go and track it down. We talked about how, at least I did, how, how the Globes have no influence on the Oscars because they don't share a single 
voting member in common. You know, like it is a it is just another big PR thing. Uh, no different than, you know, this contenders on the cover of a magazine or wins an award at the Santa Barbara Film Festival or whatever. It's just another stop on the publicity campaign. But I just don't know if awards voters are actually swayed by that stuff or if they've become savvy enough to know to recognize these things for what they are. You know, as far as all the controversies and stuff, like, how do you not know you have any, you don't have any black vote, like members, like there are people in the, I think it was an Australian voter who gave an interview the next morning, like, we don't even think of that. We just didn't even, we didn't even think about it. Like, I don't know, man, like if I'm sitting in a room of, of 87 people and, <laughs> and I'm looking around, there's no black people. I, don't, I just don't see how that represents, you know, the, the, the full scope of things. But at the same time, the, the, the requirements of membership are very arcane. Like, you know, you have to be writing for a foreign publication. So right off the bat, how many foreign publications, like writing about film and, and airing, you know, celebrity entertainment content from America, how many are those, are there, are, are you know, are there of those, sorry. <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to be living in Los Angeles. So like, it, it's tough enough being an entertainment journalist because it pays nothing. You know, I, I'd like to think I'm one of the bigger entertainment journalists and like, you know, I, I consider myself very underpaid. So it's like, if you're, if you don't have a huge name for yourself, right, then, then you're just like freelancing pieces. It's tough to live in Los Angeles and that's the only way you can have membership. So I, I get that it's a very narrow sort of definition in terms of uh, the, the requirements. Um, I do think that the HFPA needs to, you know, do, do outreach or whatever. But again, it, it, it comes back on the editors of these foreign publications because they're the ones who need to hire you. And then once you're hired, then you can go to the MPA to apply for membership. I mean, the, the, the HFPA rarely accepts new members to begin with. Some of these people have been in the organi organization for 20, 30 years. They write for publications no one's heard of. No one reads their stuff. No one knows who these people are. But you know who does know who they are? All of Hollywood. Okay, so when, when everyone throws up their hands and is just indignant, oh my God, the LA Times says you don't have any black members, what? They all knew this, they knew, because they're the ones going to these press conferences and doing the, the cocktail hours with the HFPA, and they know, they see that there's no, no, no black members, so why do they continue to play the game? And I'll tell you why, it's because awards and money trump all these things. They, they, I'm telling you, like, this is just, this is a fake, phony, baloney town. And it's fake outrage because they all knew and they've known for years. Uh, all right, we'll move along from the Golden Globe stuff because there's a lot of scoopy stuff to talk about. Uh, Pinocchio, for starters, announced uh, its cast, or, or I think um, the rap broke most of this, but uh, Cynthia Erivo is going to be doing the Blue Fairy, who is traditionally depicted as this white blonde woman. So I, I kind of love, you know, like, why does she need to be white blonde? Are there no black fairies? Like. I think that's very cool uh, that, that Cynthia Erivo was cast as the Blue Fairy. What's even cooler is Joseph Gordon-Levitt voicing Jiminy Cricket. I mean, it's like perfect casting. Like between that and then Tom Hanks' Geppetto, like I feel like Zemeckis and Disney know exactly what they want here. They're on the same page. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gives off big Jiminy Cricket energy. <laughs> like there is, I so badly wanted to use this photo of JGL from the night before where he's an elf and he's like, you know, because that's just how I imagine Jiminy Cricket in my head. Like this guy who's just like ready to sing and dance with his top hat and cane or whatever at a moment's notice. Uh, Keegan-Michael Keegan Key is gonna be voicing uh, Honest John and then Lorraine Bracco is gonna be voicing somebody the seagull, you know, I, I don't know what the hell the name was I don't have it in front of me. Uh, and that's a new character that like, I love it. We're gonna create a new character in Pinocchio and who's it gonna be? Lorraine Bracco. Uh, she does have, you know, one of those great kind of gravelly voices. Uh, a lot, lot of character there. So I, I like the way uh, Pinocchio's headed. They also can't cast a little boy, uh, you know, as the voice of Pinocchio or whatever. So it sounds like Blue Fairy, Erivo, and, uh, and Hanks will be live action. because It's a live action movie. Uh, and the rest of the characters will be sort of, you know, CGI or whatever the hell. And now the Lorraine Bracco thing is kind of funny because yesterday I broke a big story. Uh, I said, I chimed in on the Slack 
And I was like, hey, Liz, Liz Shannon Miller, who you know from the Schmodown, she's the TV editor at Collider. I go, Liz, have they announced who's playing Hillary Clinton in Impeachment American Crime Story? And she's like, no, I, I don't think that they have. And in fact, I wasn't even sure if Hillary was going to be part of the series or not. Uh, and, and then I think that they, they did indicate at one point that she is, but it's gonna be a very small role. I'm not so sure that's true anymore because you don't cast Edie, you don't cast Edie Falco in a small role, but let's back up. So anyways, I get, I've got this scoop. I say, you know, okay, they, they haven't announced it yet. Okay, because I, I think I know who she is. She's the star of the greatest TV show ever. And someone in the Slack goes, wow, big week for Lorraine Bracco. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, you were so close. You had the right show, just the wrong actress. Uh, I cannot see Lorraine Bracco, by the way, as, as Hillary Clinton. But it is Edie Falco, uh, who won three Emmys as Carmela Soprano, two Golden Globes, and picked up a fourth Emmy for her turn as Nurse Jackie on Showtime. Uh, kind of perfect casting, right? I mean, everyone loved this. Uh, it was very well received yesterday, I'd like to, I'd like to think. Um, so I, you know, call some, some people who I think might know, reach out for, for that confirmation on the initial tip. And I got it. Uh, and at that point, it's like, okay, this is true. So I'm going to post it. That's my job. I post true news. Uh, also, the last time I had emailed FX about a, a, American Crime Story casting that still has not been announced. And I was emailing in September. So this is six months ago. Uh, and I never got a response. So this time I just wrote FX and I'm like, listen, I, ne I never heard back from you on the last one. Now I'm just posting this one because I heard it's true. Happy to update after the fact if, if there's if you have any comments. And, and we posted the story. And of course, FX understandably was was upset. You know, I imagine a lot of other TV reporters had heard this information and were holding it, which is what I want to sort of talk about today. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, the nature of film and TV reporting is just wildly different. And the film side is just the wild, wild west. We are ruthless motherfuckers on the film side. You know, we will stab each other in the back. There is still a code of honor and we do still get along from time to time. It all depends on what it is and who got to the story first and who feels ownership of it or whatever. But it's also like, okay, you have to acknowledge. And I told this to Amazon. I told this to Netflix in, in recent weeks, HBO, everybody. Okay. Because I've been breaking news the last few weeks. I, I, I have a, a fire lit under my ass. And I say, these people who, who have this information and they're holding it, they, they have to be aware that they're taking a risk that by holding it, some asshole like me could come in and report it because it's true. So like Nellie, Leslie and Hollywood reporter, like they all have to understand that if you're gonna do the studio's bidding by waiting, you're taking a risk that someone is not going to wait. They're just gonna report the truth. Um, so, I just don't feel terribly, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't want to like just talk about the, the conversation that I've had with some of these publicists, but it's like, they talk about this honor code and this gentleman's code. And it's like, do you think that there's honor among thieves? Cause that's what my job is. It is to steal your secrets in the middle of the night. Uh, do you think that when Nellie at deadline is about to drop a scoop that she thinks, hey, wait, I wonder, is Jeff Snyder tracking this? Trust me, they don't think about that stuff. They don't give a fuck about me. And likewise, I don't give a fuck about them. Like, I'm just there to report the news. If it's true and I get the confirmation, it's going on the internet, folks. And you know what? If you don't like it, right? If you don't want to compete with me, hire me, you know? Uh, I don't know what else to tell these trades. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's just like they are so wrapped around the fingers of these networks and they only report when the network tells them it's okay. And it's crazy. That's not news. You're not being a journalist if that is how you want to operate. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, Edie Falco, Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think it's great. I can't wait for this show because I loved both iterations of American Crime Story going, uh, you know, the previous iterations, the OJ one, the Versace one. 
Um, and this sounds really good too. I mean, this is something I, I lived through like, like those. I mean, I, I love that they're kind of doing like the, the nineties as well with this series. Um, and I, and I kept, you know, I, I did FX a favor, I thought, cause I kept five or six other names out of the story. You know, I, I figured, okay, if I was a reporter at Deadline or Hollywood Reporter and this got jacked for me, which it probably did, uh, I'd at least want some kind of make good. So I left FX five or six names to distribute the make goods. And you could say, here's two names for you, Deadline, and here's two names for you, Hollywood Reporter, and that's how it's going to fucking be. Um, but yeah, E.D. Falco's Hillary Clinton, you think I'm going to hold that story? What are you, insane? No, it was everywhere within two hours yesterday. Uh, followed that up with a big scoop about Nimona. Now, BuzzFeed News, I got to hand it to them. They did a really good job reporting this story out when it was announced a few weeks ago that Disney would be shutting down Connecticut-based animation studio Blue Sky. Yeah, BuzzFeed did a really good job. Basically said, you know, uh, the movie was 75% done. Uh, there were still 10 months of production left, which is what my sources backed up as, as well. And, and 10 months of production, like that's still a good chunk. You know, that's, that's not cheap, especially if, you know, when you're doing like technologically advanced animation, which is, which this is, is said to have been, um, you know, with the help of my, my editor in chief, uh, Steve Weintraub, AKA Frosty, we got the, um, the voice cast confirmed. And so Nimona would have been voiced by Chloe Moretz, Chloe Grace Moretz, who actually, I think she recorded about half of her lines and then um, Ballister Blackheart, who is, you know, sort of the, the villain of the piece, uh, although I don't know that that is actually the case, uh, he would have been voiced by Riz Ahmed. Um, and that's a pretty good voice cast, I, I think, Chloe, Chloe and Riz. Um, now, what's important about all this is that Nimona was going to be the first full-length LGBTQ-friendly Disney movie, right? because Ballister and then the, the supposed hero of the story share a romantic history. And, and they at one point even say, I love you to each other. And then and they share a, a same sex kiss. Uh, so obviously that would have been a big deal, you know, in the, in the annals of uh, Disney animation history. So it's unfortunate that the movie has, you know, th that they had to shut down. I mean, you know, um, basically, Disney announced it on February 9th and said, by, by April, Blue Sky will be no more. Um, you know, I've been laid off from jobs. I'm not talking about the jobs I got fired from, like uh, from Variety and, and from The Wrap. I was laid off from uh, Tracking Board and I've been laid off from Variety as well. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it sucks. It's not fair because you didn't do anything wrong. Um, so I'd love to see somebody swoop in and rescue this movie. I don't know what the price tag is on something like that. Uh, you would think that one of these streamers would be eager to compete in the animated space with Disney Plus. Uh, and then this would sort of go a long way. It's just like, this is it. It, it sounded like an important movie that really did have the, the um, possibility to change kids' lives. And so the fact that, you know, they got this far only to pull the plug, that kind of sucks. At the same time, it's a business. You know, and Disney has had to, has had a tough time, not a tough time, but they've had to weather the storm, right? They don't have their theme parks open around the world or the cruise lines and stuff like that. And earlier this week, it was reported that they're going to be shutting down 60 of their Disney stores in North America. So like, I get it. Like, you know, the financial reality of things is they didn't buy Fox for Blue Sky and they can't financially sustain three animation studios. Like you're paying for Pixar, Disney animation studios. Now you're gonna do Pic uh, Blue Sky as well. It just doesn't make sense. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Universal has Illumination, Warner's has what, like War Warner animation or whatever. Um, even even so Sony has Sony animation, like, but you know, like does, does Paramount need them maybe? I know Paramount animation, you know, they, they have a unit as well, but Blue Sky seems, um, you know, maybe a little bit more talented experience than, than at least some of the units that, that these studios have. Uh, what else do I want to say about Nimona? Yeah, yeah it, it, it just, um, I, I guess I really don't have anything else to say about it. I, I don't know. It sounds like Blue Sky leadership is still continuing to explore its options. Um, but there haven't been any takers yet. I don't know if there's been an offer on the table or anything. Uh, so we'll see, you know, stay tuned. Uh, hopefully yesterday's story 
gets picked up by more outlets and, and people start to get excited about it. Maybe a streamer picks up on that, that excitement and does something about it uh, and, and rides to the rescue. Um, okay, a bunch of like news briefs and stuff. There was a Terminator anime series announced from Madsen Tomlin, writer of the Batman, Madsen Tomlin. Man, uh, this guy came out of nowhere. I don't think I knew his name 18 months ago. Now he's writing half of the biggest properties in, in town. Uh, I dig the idea of a Terminator anime series. Like the live action stuff, I, even though I, I did like the last movie with Mackenzie Davis for the most part. Um, did I? I forget. I gotta think about that. <laughs> uh yeah I, I can see a term terminator anime series working qu quite well um tomb raider the showrunner tasha well writing a red sonia movie this is one of those properties that, that i'm sure that we've discussed like you know buck rogers or it's just i don't understand this who, who cares who cares about red sonia this is like an old this is this is like c-list comic book stuff um pass rachel uh, Zegler, right? She booked the Shazam sequel. I'm surprised it took this long for you know the, the young star of uh, of West Side Story to to book a big follow up. Um, she seems adorable and talented, and she really has taken off as a kind of like social media celebrity. Um, you know, I, I just see a lot of people. You know, she seems to have a lot of fans, sight unseen. You know, she's just very charming on online. So. Uh, probably a nice get for for her and for the Shazam sequel because who knows she could she could blow up at, off of uh, West Side Story. Uh, Reggae John Page, the guy who was in Bridgerton and hosted SNL, you know, last week or two weeks ago, and like he is just he's everywhere all of a sudden. Everybody wants to be uh, in business with Reggae John Page. He signed on to the the Dungeons and Dragons movie last week, and this week it was the Gray Man, the Russo brothers movie with Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. That movie also added uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Alfred Woodard, and they have a hell of a cast there for what is shaping up to be Netflix's most expensive movie ever. Even though I don't fully uh, trust the streamers' math on The Irishman. Um. Right. Okay. What else did, all right. Uh, we talked about Dungeons and Dragons adding uh, Reggae John Page and also added Hugh Grant and Sophia Lillis. What a weird cast this is shaping up to be. I just don't, not really sensing the, the cohesion here. It's just kind of like a random selection of names that are kind of have some heat behind them. Uh, and besides, you really couldn't pay me enough to see a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, Jodie Comer, Jodie Comer cast as the female lead or she's Ridley Scott's choice as if Ridley Scott doesn't get his choices. Uh, the only way that this wouldn't happen is if it conflicted with uh, filming on Killing Eve, which is obviously in first position. But Joni Comer just worked with Ridley Scott on The Last Duel. And now she's going to be the uh, Josephine Bonaparte, the uh, Napoleon's wife. Napoleon obviously played by Joaquin Phoenix in this movie, Kitbag, uh, which is not a, a good title for a Napoleon movie. Um, also, Josephine was like five or six years older than Napoleon in real life, and Jodie Comer is nearly 20 years younger than Joaquin Phoenix. Welcome to Hollywood, folks. That's how it's done. Uh, you know, Steve Weintraub Frosty did a, a big interview with Gore Verbinski. If you haven't noticed, it has been Gore Verbinski week on Collider. Uh, it was like a two-hour interview. And so, we, you know, Steve managed to get a lot out of him, including news of this movie, Sand Kings, which is in development at Netflix. I had never heard of Sand Kings before. It's based on a novelette, not a short story, but not quite a novel from George R.R. R. Martin. And it sounded awesome. I'm not like a sci-fi guy. Uh, I'm definitely not like a George R.R. R. Martin guy, but this sounded fucking cool. It's like basically that this this rich asshole and he collects like dangerous exotic animals and so he goes into this store for one of these things i'm just like picturing gremlins right and he gets shown like this terrarium and inside the terrarium are these four species of, of, of creatures or they're all the same species they're sand kings but ones they're, they're into factions so one's like black white red and orange or whatever it is um, and these are very intelligent creatures and, you know, he essentially becomes their god. And then they, are, you know, the, these colonies are, are made up of like the queen, like the ma, and then, you know, all the little worker 
insects that, that do her bidding and, and, and bring her, find her food uh, and forage for her and hunt and, and battle, you know, to, to bring her food. And they erect these castles around her uh, made of sand to protect her. And then they decorate the castles with visions of this, this rich asshole, right? Because he has sort of become their god. Uh, but the thing about these, these creatures is that they inhabit any, you know, um, whatever their enclosure sort of is. So when they get out of the terrarium, right, then they're in this guy's house. Now they're as big as the house, you know? So, and obviously things just get out of hand and he has to keep like feeding them more and more stuff, maybe even people. It sounds fucking cool. Uh, so Gore Verbinski is going to direct this thing. George R. R. Martin source material, Dennis Kelly, who created Utopia, the original British series, he's going to write the script. I really hope that this comes to fruition because I would really like to see this on Netflix. It sounds really cool. My girl, Lena Dunham, you love her or you hate her. I love her. I was a big girls fan. She just wrapped her first movie in a decade, her, her first uh, directorial effort because she, she broke out on the scene with Tiny Furniture. It's called Sharp Stick. It features Scott Speedman and Taylor Page and Johnny Bernthal. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that like, there weren't like a ton of plot details or whatever. I think you can kind of guess the kind of movie that this is, an indie rom-com, you know, I think you, you know what Lena's all about at this point, right? Um, I, I'm just, you know, excited to see her step behind the camera because I think, with Lena, it was like a case of too much too soon. And I don't know if it went to her head or if it went to everyone else's sort of fury. Cause like there was this backlash against her. Like, you know, she was sort of anointed. The publicists were pushing, you know, this is the voice of a generation. And then the media picks up on that. And then everyone else is like, well, wait a second. I didn't ask her to speak for me. She's not the voice of my generation. And then, the, you know, you get this backlash or whatever. I don't think, Lena was trying to cultivate that for herself or, or ask for that. Um, I, I, I like Lena. And, and I know she's, she's had her, her own struggles for some health scares or whatever. I just, I wish her well. And, uh, and I'm glad that she's getting back on the horse. Uh, Amazon announced a GI Joe series pass. I, this is like, uh, what a, like a fucking BC franchise in, in, in this industry is GI Joe. I don't care. I, I used to love G.I. Joe as a kid. Like, I, I've clearly outgrown this stuff. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. Pass. If I was an Amazon executive, I wouldn't even... You, you couldn't even make it past the pitch on that. Like, this is just one of those, like, craven, like, oh, a piece of IP. People know G.I. Joe. People watch a, a G.I. Joe show. Like, Amazon loves this kind of stuff, whether it's fucking Tom Clancy or Jack Bryan or Jack Reacher. I mean, they love it all. It's, it's, it's really something. Um, that's sort of their, their bread and butter. You know, appealing to the, the the white the white guys, the straight white guys who like military stuff. We, that's why we're doing a fucking Bosch spinoff, we're bringing back Titus Welliver. <laughs> oh man, um, Christian Bale and Scott Cooper reteaming for the Pale Blue Eye. You know, they did Out of the Furnace and Hostels. Uh, I, I like the two of them working together. Um, yeah, I don't really have, I'm just going to like list off a bunch of these fucking projects. George Clooney and, and Julia Roberts reteamed on Ticket to Paradise. You know, how real are these, these sort of EFM projects that, that get announced and, you know, then they linger for a year or two and then inevitably someone else steps in. I mean, I, I love Clooney and, and Julia together from the Oceans movies uh, and would like to see them do something outside of that franchise. But, you know, Ticket to Paradise sounded very kind of generic. Um, yeah, like, you know, Sean Penn and Ty Sheridan doing Black Flies. Uh, Shailene Woodley and Anthony Mackie and, and Jacob Lattimore doing Panopticon. Uh, it, it, it's stuff like that. That's just like, eh, they, they've been trying to, you know, make these types of movies for, for years. Uh, and they always seem to pop up at, at various, you know, festival markets. Uh, Kalinda Vasquez tapped to write a new Star Trek movie that will also be produced by J.J. Abrams. God forbid, you know, we, we kick Bad Robot off the, the Star Trek franchise. They've just done such a good job with it. Um, listen, this franchise is fucking cooked. What do you want me to say? This thing belongs on, on Paramount+. Plus. They seem to be doing a good job with, uh, you know, all the, the various TV shows and whatnot. Um, sorry, one second.
I just, I, okay. I, I hope that Kalinda Vasquez is writing just like a completely new take on, on, on Star Trek with a, that, that, that would incorporate a new cast because this cast is done. So it's toast. Okay. Come on. Chris Pine and Zoe Saldana and Zachary Quinto. Like they, they had their chance. They did three movies. First one was pretty good. I didn't love the end of, of that movie. The second one where he started doing Benedict Cumberbatch and, and the con stuff. That's where, it sort of lost me in the third movie was awful. I don't know who is defending Star Trek Beyond at this point. Um, so yeah, I hope that she just does her, her own thing. And she's apparently named after a Star Trek character. So this was kind of her destiny all along. Congratulations, very cool. Ronaldo Marcus Green doing a Bob Marley movie for Paramount. Uh, yeah, sure, I, I dig this. This seems like a good hire to me. He just did the King Richard movie about Venus and Serena's uh dad and you know what bob marley that that could be a cool biopic that's not just like the same old fucking biopic right bob marley he's got some great songs too like the, the, just the songs that they listed in the deadline article i, I was like wow I, I actually know all these songs like when they're announcing a hundred million dollar robbie williams biopic where he's gonna be played by a monkey or something like I can't name a Robbie Williams song off the top of my head. If I heard one, maybe I, I could sing along, but fucking Bob Marley and the Whalers, that would be pretty chill. Um, Ross and Marshall Thurber stepping in for David Leach on the division. This is one that uh, Steve and I broke as well. Um, the division is like this big video game adaptation, right? Netflix has been working on it for like four or five years now. I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain are going to star and so when I broke the news, it was funny. And a lot of people were disappointed. Ah, oh, Dave Leach is stepping down. Oh, I really wanted him to do this, this video game movie with Jake. I mean, you know, he's still going to produce. So I think that you're going to get the best of both, both worlds. But like, you know, obviously anytime you lose a director, people are going to ask, oh, what, what happened? Blah, 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 blah. Leach is obviously known for his action scenes, his action uh, sequences. And he's very, very talented in that regard. Having said that, you look at the movies that he's done besides the, the original John Wick, which he co-directed, but like fucking Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw, Atomic Blonde. No, no. I will take uh, Rawson's filmography over those movies any day, whether that's the comedies We're the Millers and Dodgeball or Skyscraper and, and Central Intelligence. Um, yeah, I, I think Rawson is a, is a, better director than David Lynch. David Lynch may be more proficient with action sequences, but who knows? We haven't seen Red Notice yet. I mean, that, that is a huge Netflix movie with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. So I feel like if they are, you know, like Netflix must like what it sees from that movie to be giving him uh, the division, right? Uh, and I think you will get the best of both worlds. Maybe you'll get Rossin's ability, you know, to tell, to tell a, a fucking story that makes sense uh combined with david leach's action prowess and that would be cool uh speaking of john wick Derek uh, kolstad the creator of john wick is uh adapting the action horror manga helsing for amazon i don't know much about it um but uh yeah you know Derek kolstad man he, he is busy as hell too everybody wants him writing their action stuff david yellow joins gugu mabatha raw in the girl before on hbo max that, that actually sounded kind of interesting i know that's a big like best-selling book. Um, it's like Gugu gets a chance to move into this incredible dream home. But if she's going to go live there, I think it's for a month or however long it is, she has to abide by the rules of the home's architect played by David Ayelowo. Uh, That sounds like it could be interesting. You know, we, we get so many of these fucking white people uh, limited series, right? You can, you can name it, whether it's The Undoing, Big Little Lies, uh, so what's the other fucking one? Uh, the flight attendant, you know, like, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's see like what a, a black, a black version of these big limited series uh, would look like. Um, Austin Butler and Callum Turner booked the leads in Masters of the Air. This is one of those stories that I was holding for a while because I'm not a total asshole. I can play ball when, uh, you know, when the situation calls for it. Um, and anyways, they decided to, to, uh, announce that on Friday when I was not in the office and naturally 
No one else at Collider thought it was a big deal, so he just didn't do the story. Uh, this is the next band of brothers. Um, Austin Butler and Callum Turner may not be the biggest names in the world, but they are definitely rising stars, up and coming actors. Austin Butler is, you know, stars as Elvis in the Baz Luhrmann movie. Um, so I thought it should have been covered. Uh, I'm holding one other name on, on that show. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like the veterans who they sort of call in. I mean, I, it's mostly young guys, obviously, just like Band of Brothers. But, you know, they got to there's got to be some commanding officers and, and whatnot. But that's from like Spielberg and Carrie Fukunaga. And I think that's going to be a pretty big show for Apple. If Apple can even have big shows. I mean, is anybody like does anybody watch Apple? I mean, anecdote, it just feels like. You know, if you buy a, a phone or a computer, okay, you get a, uh, you got a one-year subscription. But once that one-year subscription is up, is anybody actually paying for subscriptions? I don't really get the feeling that they are. Uh, you know, just like, I'm talking like just about general people, not like the people who are obsessed, you know, ra rabid film and television fans. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, Rebel Wilson, I, do, I, I don't know if I did some of these things last week. It's all a blur. <laughs> Thanks to that weekend in New Hampshire. Rebel Wilson booked uh, the Paramount Players Comedy senior year where she's going to pl be playing uh, a cheerleader who, who falls into a coma and wakes up 20 years later and goes back to school to become the prom queen or, or, or whatever it is. I mean, that, that sounds right up her alley. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I like Rebel Wilson. Uh, even though some of the stuff that she's done lately, I didn't bother seeing that one with Anne Hathaway. And then the, the rom-com that everybody loved, you know, with Liam, Liam Hemsworth, that was just okay. Borderlands cast Ariana Greenblatt, who played uh, young Gamora as uh, Tiny Tina, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I like how that Borderlands movie is coming along from Eli Roth. Giovanna Depo joined, uh, or Depo, joined Babylon, Damien Chazelle's movie. The uh, deadline did not reveal his role. That's another story. That's another piece of casting I've been holding for ages. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be playing a trumpeter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jay Smith Cameron from Succession joined BJ Novak's movie Vengeance. Uh, that's over at Blumhouse. Robert Duvall and Garrett Hedlund were cast in Ed Harris's new movie, The Plowman. Uh, Allison Janney, Annie Murphy, and Ben Platt to star in the Indie, the, the People We Hate at the Wedding, excuse me, from Set It Up, Helmer Claire Scanlon. Sounded like every other family movie around a wedding I've ever seen. Uh, Jennifer Coyle and Leah Matsuda directing the Hello Kitty movie for New Line. Remind me to skip that one. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe I'll see some of these movies now that my niece is getting a little bit older. She may be going to movies in the next two years or whatever. Who knows how, how long I'll be home, how long it'll take to get a, a vaccine here. Um, but yeah, like when people are like, Jeff, how have you not seen the Harry Potter movies? I'm like, I'm, I'm saving those for five years down the line to, to watch with my niece. Uh, I think we talked about the Mike Tyson Iron Mike series from Hulu last week, but just in case, Margot Robbie's executive producing a, a Mike Tyson series. I do believe John Boyega was actually offered the lead role in that and turned it down. Um, much like I heard Nick Jonas turned down the lead in a spinoff of The Boys, that one that's like set at college or whatever, uh, which was probably a good call for, for Nick Jonas. Uh, Ray Liotta joined Taryn Edgerton and Paul Walter Hauser in Apple series In With the Devil, which I'm looking forward to because that's like about a, a criminal who has to sort of go on uh, undercover, not undercover, but like go on death row to sort of extract a confession from another prisoner. Um, we got a bunch of like release date stuff. Bros, the, the uh, Billy Eichner movie. I almost said Billie Eilish because that's coming up. Uh, but yeah, the Billy Eichner movie Bros, which has been in the works forever from, from Nick Stoller, that is on the calendar now for August 2022. I'm glad they're finally moving ahead with that because I think we do need, uh, you know, a, a gay romantic comedy and, and Billy Eichner is the perfect person to star in it. A uh, bunch of release date stuff. So Universal push back F9. God, I hate that title. Um, they pushed back F9 one month from May to June, and they pushed back Minions, The Rise of Gru from July to next July. So that one got a one month delay, one got a one year delay. And now F9 is opening the same day as Venom 2, which 
doesn't sound like a good idea for Venom 2. <laughs> uh, Venom 2 is almost certainly going to move. You, I mean, Venom was a big hit. It definitely overperformed, but you don't take on a, a $5 billion franchise, uh, one that's adding John Cena or anything. Um, so yeah, I expect Venom 2 to move, um, but stick around the summer. I mean, you know, we're starting to see things reopening. Vaccines are, are you know, hopefully happening a lot quicker. And yeah, we're starting to see New York reopen theaters. I mean, Alamo Drafthouse filed for bankruptcy and is going to be shutting down some locations, but uh, the others are still, you know, still operating. Um, Paramount moved up A Quiet Place 2 to, mem to Memorial Day, which is like ambitious. Like, I mean, it's like this scramble to be first now. Like, oh, people are ready to, well, it, I'll tell you, excuse me. I'll tell you what it really is. I think it's really about Paramount needs some prime content on Paramount Plus. Uh, but they don't just want to break the window. They don't want to be Warner Brothers and just go day and date. So the sooner that they can release A Quiet Place 2 and feel like they can make some money, because I mean those movies are relatively cheap, I, I feel like. As soon as they feel like they can make some money at the box office, and I think the, the performance of Tom and Jerry last week was encouraging for them, then the sooner that they can put that movie out on the service. So I think that they said it's going to be 45 days. So if it's opening end of May, by mid-July, you're going to have a big movie, A Quiet Place 2, available to stream on Paramount+. And I think that's what they wanted. They, they didn't want to just make a debut there because they're still committed to theatrical, but yeah, it, uh, I, I think that's sort of what is behind that. Um, I love Deadline, sorry, but the Billie Eilish documentary being the, the biggest hit among young adults on, on the Apple service. Oh, what a hit it was. What are the other YA shows available and, and stuff like that on Apple? Isn't it like just Dickinson? Like what else do they have that's really aimed at teenagers? Don't tell me it's the banker or on the rocks. So really what you're telling me is that Billie Eilish is more popular with today's teens than Emily Dickinson. Whoa, shocker. You gotta be fucking kidding me. I wouldn't write up any, if any streaming service came to me and said, hey, this was a huge hit for us. And then, I, and then they didn't give me any numbers or any context or anything. They just said, oh, trust us, it was big. There's no way I'm running that fucking story. This is public relations. And frankly, I thought Deadline should have been embarrassed for running it. Uh, you're not going to hear me weigh in on Coming to America or Pharaoh versus Allen because I really don't care about either of those things. Coming to America, I was never a big Coming to America guy. I mean, it was, it was released when I was just a little kid. It wasn't something that me and my friends grew up quoting as, as teenagers beyond, you know, maybe watching the Royal Penis line. Uh, Eddie Murphy, I think it's just quite clear. Eddie Murphy is not the same Eddie Murphy that he was in the 80s. And I just don't really fucking care. Um, and the reviews were pretty mixed. I mean, there were some people who were like, oh, yeah, you know, I watched the original recently and it held up. And, and this carries on that tradition. I, have, I understand it's a very different movie. It's PG-13. The humor is different. Maybe there's more heart, more family stuff. But none of, none of the ads, none of the campaign did anything for me. Uh, Farrell vs. Allen just seems like a biased piece of activism, not journalism. Um, you know, did, did something happen to that addict? Maybe. You know, I don't want to deny Dylan Farrow's feelings about what happened to her. Um, I, I believe her to an extent, but it also, you know, these events happened uh, a long, long time ago. It does seem like, you know, memory can play tricks on us. But I just think without facts, right, it, it's a he said, she said kind of thing. And um, I don't know, from what I understand about this documentary, you know, anytime Woody Allen's on screen, like they use like the, the, the dark music to, to, to paint the idea, this is a bad man. And they're giving this, you know, sort of uh, negative context to all these home videos. I, I just, it, it, mm -mm. that doesn't uh, seem legit to me. And, and I just don't want to watch it. I don't want to be in that space for, for four hours and, and relitigate these events where at the end, I don't really think I'm going to know that much more than I did going in. 
Um, Paramount Plus launched today. I haven't downloaded it. The, the launch is being ripped apart on Twitter. They're saying it's basically CBS All Access, which was a mess, uh, with re, with new branding. Like nothing. It's you know, on one hand, you know, you expect people to pay for this stuff. Like starting today, then be ready today, right? On the other, no one's going to have their ducks lined up in a row on, on, on day one. I think that that was sort of proven by HBO Max. And, you know, you, we do have to be patient and give these streamers time. Like they didn't have time to waste. And so they sort of just rush it up there. You know, we, we get on a streaming product, like let's just go, 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 launch it. Uh, you know, when they could have just waited, you know, till after A Quiet Place 2 had come out or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it's a mess and it's going to take some time to find its footing. Don't really have any movies to review. Um, you know, I watched one new movie this weekend and I could talk about it on, on social, uh, but I want to give it a rewatch before I say anything about it. So we'll check back in next week on that one, or I'm not sure when the embargo lifts on it. Um, trailers. Without Remorse, we got a trailer for. That's the Michael B. Jordan movie. I thought this looked really good. This is from like Stefano Salima, who did the Sicario sequel, I thought was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, l listen, this could go either way. This could be like, you know, the, the Amazon. Uh, just, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say about this without remorse. I thought, I, I thought it looked good. I like the cast. I like, you know, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Bell, um, Guy Pierce. The only thing that didn't work for me, I think it's Jody Turner Smith, who, who's like, you know, early in the trailer, like this guy is the most deadly soldier we've ever we we have. Like he's the craziest. Like it just I just didn't buy it coming out of her mouth. That's the sort of line that in the mid '90s you would hear coming out of the mouth of like a Willem Dafoe type or some like old white guy who knows everyone in the service and how deadly they are. And maybe Jody Turner Smith uh, possesses that that knowledge, but it just. It sounded kind of silly coming out of her mouth, um, but great ending with uh, to that trailer with him, you know, putting gasoline all over the guy's car and lighting it on fire. And we're like, oh, he's he's gonna blow this car up or he's trying to smoke this guy out. No, he fucking goes and gets inside the burning car, which could explode at any moment. It's like, give me a fucking name. Good stuff from Michael B. Uh, Army of the Dead. I forget if we talked about that one, but it looked uh, it looked good. I you know I like the the kind of purple color scheme that they're going for with that one. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool trailer. I, I, you know, it's just a fun zombie movie from, from Zack Snyder. I'm definitely more excited for that than the Snyder cut. So believe me, I am still going to check out the Snyder cut. Uh, other trailers. There were some good ones. The Serpent, the Tahar Rahim show on Netflix. That, that's been on my Netflix queue, my, my preview content row for a couple of weeks. And I've been intrigued, but I never quite pulled the trigger and watched it. And now I'm going to, because I had that trailer that made it look really good. It's about like a con man slash serial killer or, you know, who got, you know, I don't know if he's actually a serial killer or he's, you know, uh, gets wrapped up in, in some serial killings or whatever. But either way, looked like a Narcos type of show with some international flavor. Taha Rahim's a great actor too. Like the, the, the nomination he got for the Mauritanian was well-deserved. I loved him in A Prophet. I loved him in The Looming Tower. The guy's fucking talented. Shutter released a trailer for Slacks, which is about a, care, a pair of killer pants. It was totally ridiculous. I, I kind of loved it. Uh, it looked, I mean, I heard this was at Fantasian and that, that the movie maybe didn't live up to its premise, but it still looked like a, a blast to me. And, and um, yeah, I'm just looking for like a, a gory 77 minute movie. You know, that, that, that sounds fun. We've seen, this is like becoming a subgenre of its own, right? Between Quentin Dupuis movie, uh, Rubber, killer tire, deer skin, killer jacket in fabric. Uh, that's not Quentin, but um, but a killer dress. I like these these killer inanimate object movies. Uh, but again, same thing with this one as without remorse. Okay, and and my female colleagues at Collider said the same thing. This trailer goes into uh, it uses like a female voiceover like narrator at the end, and it sounds way off. Doesn't sound good. I don't want to say women shouldn't be like the, the trailer voiceover people because that's like obviously horribly sexist. But I really haven't heard like a, a woman do it great. I mean, obviously men and women sound differently. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I need, I need regular old trailer guy. It, it was, it was a weird voiceover. Um, calls the Apple trailer. This is a weird trailer, a weird idea, but it's based on this French format from Fede Alvarez. Um, well, it's, you know, he, he directed this, this, uh, Apple English language remake. And it's just like, you're looking at screensaver stuff and it's like this, these weird abstract visuals that force you to pay attention to the audio because it's an auditory mystery. It's got a great cast. I'm just curious how long these short form episodes are. Like, you know, are these 15, 20 minute episodes or is this like a 45 minute thing? Cause that's a long fucking call, right? Um, but it sounds interesting, literally. <laughs> Operation Varsity Blues, we got a trailer for. That looks like a really interesting, I think it's a Netflix, I wanna say. Um, you know, docu-series about the, the college admission scandal. Uh, I've just been very interested in that. And my, my old pal, Nicole Laporte, who I, I was her intern at Variety or, or an intern at Variety when she was a big Variety reporter. Now she's become a big, uh, you know, fast company reporter and author. She has a book called Guilty Admissions that is out now. And she's like doing the press rounds. It's so cool to see Nicole, uh, you know, th thriving like this. I do want to pick up her book um but, but if i don't i can always just watch this operation varsity blues series um okay what else all right before we get to mailbag stuff which we'll close the show and i just want to do a couple congratulations and stuff congratulations to my pal jairo alvarado on forming redefine entertainment he's always just been you know one of the, the best um managers who really has a, a great idea of, of uh, about the future of this business uh, so it's great to see him launching his own shop uh, congrats to my pal J.D. Lifshitz and uh, his Boulder Light Pictures. They signed with Range Media Partners, the big hot new uh, management company this week. To um, excuse me, congrats to Luke Rivet, another manager pal who got John Hamm to star in his indie movie Corner Office that he's going to be producing. So I just, I just love when good things happen to good people. And I would also recommend uh, reading my pal Isaac Feldberg's piece on Minari over at Pace Magazine. Uh, you know, it's, it's a piece that I think meant a lot to him and, and he really wrote it from the heart. So, so check it out. Uh, all right, we've got mailbag questions from Sam Streak. With St. Patrick's Day happening in Ireland soon, my question is, do you think there are any Irish actors or movies that are, uh, that are over or underrated? Personally, I'm not a huge Neeson guy, which I'm aware is blasphemy over here. Uh, Irish actors that are over or underrated. I mean, geez. Um, no, I, I like the Irish. I, I think Colin Farrell is properly rated, maybe even a little underrated, because I, I do like when he actually gets a chance to act like in Killing of a Sacred Deer or even The Gentleman. Uh, I'm, I'm a Neeson guy. I just think Neeson does something very, very well. Um, and I watched Honest Thief recently and it was worth a four or $5 rental, whatever it was. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't have a long list here in front of me. I, I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you want me to like research these mailbag questions or like just read it. Cause I, I don't read them until right now on the show. I, I kind of like doing it off the top of my head. Um, Will, Will Drajulis asks, hey, Jeff, I was curious if you heard anything about Mel Gibson's The Wild Bunch remake or David Ayer's The Dirty Dozen remake. And best of luck with your Shmodan match against Dan Merle. Yeah, that is tonight. I'm a little nervous. Um, no, I really haven't heard much about The, the Wild Bunch or The Dirty Dozen. I, I think I heard that one of those attachments didn't hold up. I don't know if it was like Fastbender falling out of Wild Bunch or something. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to like go into the the archives, and I'm not really in the the mood to do that. Will, um, but I'll I'll email you if I if I see anything. Just keep it under wraps. Ross Gluck says John M. Chu is reportedly shell shocked by WB's HBO Max decision because he made In the Heights with the theatrical experience in mind. But last week it was announced that he would be directing the great Chinese art heist for Warner Brothers, which makes it seem like the two parties have reconciled. Do you think this is a good sign that WB will make amends with Nolan or Villeneuve? Or are those relationships forever tainted? Uh, that is a good question. First of all, I don't think John Chu is Chris Nolan um, or even Denny, Denis Villeneuve, uh, even though I think In the Heights looks good and could be a gigantic hit for them. 
as far as like, you know, whether they reconciled, I don't know that they were ever like at each other's throats. I think he was probably disappointed by the business decision. But at the end of the day, it's a business decision. You have to respect that. I mean, theaters, again, what did I tell you when that shit was announced? They could change their minds. I mean, I think there was a really grim outlook uh, last year or at the top of the year when Trump was still president. Um, and we didn't know when the vaccine stuff was going to happen. The timeline got moved up. Now everyone, is, there's supposed to be enough vaccines available for all adults in America by the end of May. And so maybe Warner Brothers walks it back and says, you know what, this isn't going to HBO Max. It's going to be theatrical only. People have come back. We saw with A Quiet Place 2, you know, it opened to 25 million or whatever. We're going to put in the Heights out just in theaters. So just, you know, understand that there's flexibility here. And I don't think, um, yeah, I just don't think John M. Chu is going to blow up his relationship with Warner Brothers over a day and day date for In the Heights. Um, yeah. I guess that does it for the show. I've got to go hit the books for this Dan Merle match. I'm just kidding. I, I'm not hitting the books. Uh, I actually have to go drop another scoop. So stay tuned. Um, I don't know if, if that scoop will probably hit before this podcast goes up. Um, so yeah, we're talking, I know this podcast, it's not, if you're watching it, if you're watching the video, it's not on Collider Extras. If you're watching it, it's probably on my YouTube page. Uh, so welcome, because I think it, there's going to be more that you're going to see on this YouTube page. I've got some, some things in the works, some things percolating, but, uh, you know, if you're just listening to it, please continue to listen on the Collider Extras, you know, podcast feed. Um, and you can still go to collider.com and get, you know, see the article every week actually on the site. Thank you, as always, for listening, for watching. However you consume this, have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. I love you. Have a good week. Bye.